keep getting this this message that we just have to keep showing up for each other, whether it's serving at a soup kitchen or being there for your tier one friend or being there for yourself, um, not canceling on yourself. Welcome to Open Heart Raw Story, the podcast, spotlighting the raw, honest stories of everyday people leading extraordinary lives. Tune in weekly to hear special guests share and openly disclose their challenges and traumas, along with the pivotal shifts they made to transform their lives, step into their power, and inspire the lives of others. These are the stories that epitomize the hero's journey and stand as living proof that deep healing and transformations are possible. Hello, family. Welcome to Open Heart Raw Story, the podcast where we spotlight the raw and honest stories of everyday people leading extraordinary lives. On this episode, I am so excited to have someone who is the true definition of living your best life by serving others. She is a bomb-ass yoga teacher with five-plus years of teaching experience while also being a full-time corporate finance professional. She has also dedicated her life to service, leading over 25 volunteer projects a year, ranging from assembling baskets for underserved mothers for Mother's Day to assembling backpacks full of school supplies for low-income students, which is phenomenal. And on top of that, she even teaches a donation-based class to which the proceeds go to United We Own, which is a phenomenal yoga nonprofit um, that I'm also working with as well. Um, And she also sits on the board of that. And lastly, she's also participating in a mentorship program for Hope for Youth, focusing on STEAM for the youth ages 15 to 20 who are in foster care. It is my deepest honor and pleasure to welcome my friend and glorious person who has dedicated her life to service. Please welcome everyone, Pam Concanon. Yay! Hi, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited that you have given, you know, I know you don't have a ton of time because <laughs> you always stay so busy, but um, I'm so blessed to, you know, even have just a little time to sit with you and just allow, you know, you the space to tell your story, which is a phenomenal story at that. Thank you so much. Great. So for the listeners, Pam and I met through um, a yoga studio called Revolution Yoga on Long Island that we both teach at. And um, I was just so impressed by Pam's giving and warm nature and her just open-hearted, determined dedication to serving others. And I've always said to myself, wow, this person is truly doing God, universe, source energy, whatever you want to identify with. She's really doing that work in this lifetime. So Pam, you know, we're just going to jump right in. I call this section the cocoon. So let's talk about your childhood, the good, the bad, and the in-between. Okay, jumping right in. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. And thank you so much for having me. Uh, I love being around you and your energy. It's so funny when people 
write about you and you're like, whoa, what an ego boost <laughs> about yourself. It, that was really nice of all those wonderful things you said. Oh, um, they're all, they are all truth. And that is what I see. And yeah, I'm always happy to kind of reflect that light back to you that you give to others. So it is my honor to do so. Um, so my childhood, uh, I grew up the oldest of three daughters. We were all born within four years. My, I am the oldest. My middle sister was my Irish twin, which means she was about 11 months younger than me. Um, my mom passed away in 2014. She was 53. She died of heart failure. She basically just dropped dead one day. I truly believe in my heart it was due to a broken heart. She just had a really hard life. Mm. Um, it was almost 10 years to the day after my middle sister died by suicide. With both of them, I have a better relationship with them now as my angels than I did when they were here on Earth. Mm. Um, I, I think my mom did the best she could with the tools she had. But as a younger teenager, I didn't really understand her struggles completely. Um, my mom and I stopped talking when I was about 16 years old, I, and I moved out. So when she passed away, it was about 15 years we hadn't spoken. Mm. Um, I do not have one memory of my parents loving each other. My memories are fighting and yelling. And I am sure my mother loved me, but love is not something I felt growing up. It's not something I felt well into my 20s. And I believe the ability to love and be loved is the most important part of our human journey on earth. And yeah. stripping that creates a lot of trauma and unhappiness. The triangle of my sisters was ever changing. <laughs> we are all Scorpios. And if you know anything about Scorpios, we are all very stubborn. Yes. I have two parents that are Scorpios. So <laughs> <laughs> um, we are all very much the same, but also very different, just as you would imagine three sisters would be. Mm. And as the oldest of a single mom who had no support, I was often left in charge, which shifted our relationships from sisters to caregiver. Um, so I was often taking one hat off and putting another hat on. Um, and I do believe that mental illness runs strongly undiagnosed in my family, mm -hmm. possibly even with myself. <laughs> right. I, and I can imagine that. I mean, just touching upon that, you know, you touched on so many, you know, wonderful points. And I totally agree with you that part of this human existence on earth is to feel love and to know what it's like to reciprocate that outwardly. And, you know, just understanding for the fact of what your parents and your mom particularly went through. Um, you know, I've had many guests on the show that have had, you know, pretty interesting, challenging child, you know, childhood. And the biggest thing that they always did say, which you also echoed, Pam, was the fact like they did the best they could with the tools that they had, right? And I think that just is a sense and it carries out to me that, you know, you found that sense of forgiveness and you also recognized the humanness in your mom and at that time, right? Because I think it's so easy to go to a dark place of like resentment and anger and, you know, and all of those things. But I think a true example of that emotional growth that you've done so well is coming to that realization that despite everything, that she really did the best that she could. So kudos to you for, for reaching that space because that's, a, that's not an easy space to reach. So I, I do want to give you kudos to, for that as well. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I think it, and I think it's important to share with others that people are doing the best they can. Yeah. With the tools they have. Yeah. Exactly. And when we think about our parents as actual humans too, we can take a little bit of that teenage judgment off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And then you know, I always feel like you know, throughout life, we always get these little like signs of what you know our life is gearing up towards, right? Like we kind of get these little signs along in our childhood and they start off very small. And it's really, I feel like it's like God's source energy universe is way of really sort of kind of like preparing you for your life's work. So, you know, I know that you mentioned earlier on that you had to kind of take off one hat and be a caregiver in, in a lot of ways um, and really kind of take on that responsibility. But I do think it ultimately helped prepare you to, you know, give that care to others, especially in the service work that you've done as well. So nothing goes lost. You know, it was all kind of preparation for, for your purpose in life. And I oh, sure, hundred percent. Yep. Truly feel that. So you touched upon, you know, a lot in your childhood, and you, and you gave a beautiful kind of overview description and just going a little bit deeper, just growing up, like, did you really feel that sense of security and stability, Pam? And if you did, how did that show up for you? And if you didn't, how did you find it or was able to give that back to yourself? So my short answer to sense of security and stability would be no, mm -hmm. at this point in my life, like just looking back and judging my own little self, I would say no. And to be fair, answering these questions about how I feel with the story I created in my head about my memories is my truth. Right. And I'm really trying the last few years or months really speaking about stories as I, not we. Hmm. So often when I do this, I get backlash that I shouldn't feel this way. My household of people all created their own impressions of our childhood and all those feelings are valid. So we, we often see this where, and from my, from my experiences, you'll have your, your three siblings, the parents, and they all live the same childhood years, but they all have different stories. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes someone negates my feelings and that makes me feel like my truth is not valid. An outsider might say to me, your childhood was stable and secure, but I don't think it really, their opinion doesn't matter. It's about me acknowledging how I feel. Mm -hmm. So I think acknowledging that I felt that way, it's my job to create a healthy impression as part of my spiritual practice through movement, meditation, breath work, journaling, sharing my story, and one day with professional therapy, so I can untangle these cobwebs of trauma that I carry around. Mm. And I think knowing that this work is here for me, these tools I have, and connecting with others that, like you said, most, of, most people that you've interviewed have similar stories. Yes. Knowing I'm not alone. I think it's more about figuring out why I feel the way I feel, practicing forgiveness, which is definitely an area I have more work to do around. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, there's a big loophole that I, I learned about forgiveness. 
And it's if I can't learn to forgive someone, I can learn to forgive myself for not being able to do so. Mm. And I think all of that has created that sense of security and stability is that knowing I'm not alone in this and that my feelings are valid. Yes. Yes. And and I, and I so appreciate all those points that you touched on. I think it's very important, like you said, to, you know, you're speaking your truth from your eyes and what you witnessed, right. With your, you know, with your body and your mind and your spirit being in that present moment. Right. And when people tend to say it wasn't like this, right. You know, you can say, well, you know, that's a form of gaslighting, right? Like you're like, well, you're telling me that my perception of this is not my reality and you're trying to wipe that away. And, you know, I totally am like, we don't gaslight (laughs) one, you know what I mean? That's very dangerous. It's very manipulative in a very big way. So I'm so proud of you for saying all of that because, you know, like you said, like that was my reality. That was me, Pam, in that situation, not feeling very secure and stable as I was growing up. And, you know, part of that, and you mentioned part of this work that you're doing of forgiveness and, you know, to add to um, what you said about forgiveness. And I can't, I think it was Nina B. I'm going to quote her, um, which I, I love her. And she says two things about forgiveness, that forgiveness is detachment from the pain that was caused. Hmm. Which is a very heavy sentence, (laughs) right? Detachment from the pain that was caused. That is like her definition of forgiveness. And then the other side of that, she said that forgiveness doesn't mean re-entry into Uh your life. Yes, exactly. 100%. I love those two things. Yeah, mean and be like she's she's great and and she was talking about forgiveness, which is something that I even struggle with with my own dad. It's like finding that space where I have a lot of you know, I can practice forgiveness on him, I can p- practice grace and that's still something very hard for me to navigate, you know, and uh, it's still something that that's that's my work, I guess, in this planet <laughs> is to navigate and find forgiveness and and grace even with myself as well. So you know, as you were growing up, Pam, like, let's, let's talk a little bit about the relationship. I know you touched upon your mother, but, and you did it so beautifully, but let's talk about your sister. How was your relationship to your sister? Um, the one that, that passed away? Well, so my, her name was Sharon and my sister and my mother's story are so entangled. It's hard to separate them. So my mother, my mother often talked about being a doormat, someone that just, got walked all over by people. She couldn't stand up for herself and was often taken advantage of. Mm. And she definitely did not have the support she should have had in raising us as a single mom. And you'll, you'll notice I haven't mentioned my father or my younger sister. And I don't know how deep we need to go into this, but in yoga philosophy, in the sutras, we talk about the four keys and of the four keys, we have the friendly people that we are happy toward we have the unhappy who are compassionate toward we have the virtuous people who were delighted toward and then the fourth category we have the wicked mm. and the wicked there really aren't that many people in my life that fall into this category but for the wicked we completely disregard them and so right now in this moment I'm not saying they're wicked people but for me they're placed there mm-hmm. because in my healing journey right now until I can get professional help 
and working out that cobweb of trauma with those relationships, I can't spend my energy on them because like you said, our time is precious and we all have busy calendars and I cannot spend any of my day until I can learn to forgive them, to detach myself from whatever pain that is there. Right. Whether it's real or not, it's still my my feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my sister, Sharon, my middle sister, and my mom were both very sensitive people. <laughs> and I think the sensitive gene skipped me. I don't have the I sensitivity. I disagree, but I know. <laughs> I politely disagree. I'm like, you are in the sense, I guess, like sensitive, but, you know, I think in the sensitive sense of, like, you give back so much. So maybe I'm meaning it in that. Right? Look, I don't take things personally. I'm okay right. if people don't like me. Those things, like, I can kind of let roll. I, I don't embarrass very easily. Those type of things. Yes. I mean, my mom and my sister were best friends. Mm. My sister told my mother everything where I respected my privacy. And so oftentimes, because we were only 11 months apart, we were a grade apart. We had a few overlapping friends. We were in school together. And my sister, she would, she just wanted to be like part of everyone's friend circles and in the middle of everything. And she was like very dramatic and mm. just like she needed to wear everything trendy and be part of the popular. And she would come home and tell my mom everything, everything from start to finish that happened that day. Whereas I was like, school is good, leave me alone, have homework to do. Right. And so oftentimes, she would share things, and my mom would find out, and it wasn't anything bad. It was just, if I felt disrespected in those moments. Mm. And because I'm so young, and I didn't know how to deal with it, I just learned to become like a, I like clammed up. And I couldn't build on the relationship because I couldn't share without feeling like my privacy was being invaded. Mm, yeah. And so it looked like from an outsider that I was ignoring her often. But it was just like, I just wanted to escape from this crazy dysfunctional home life to my school, which I loved going to because I was very active in school. I was especially in high school, I was on the track team, I was in clubs, I was a good student, I just loved being at school, I hated missing school. Um, So it oftentimes it looked like we weren't trying to build on our relationship, which we probably weren't. But at the same time as me ignoring her, she was disrespecting me by not honoring this, this boundary I was creating for myself. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, you say that because, you know, and it's so important, like, especially when you don't feel like you have like a a strong, secure and stable home, that you have to find that security for yourself, right, in some way, shape or form. And, you know, kind of by you doing that and, you know, maintaining this boundary and just really focusing on your schoolwork it was able, I, I truly feel like it was able for you to kind of like ground and also set that sense of security and stability for yourself, which I think is a very important, you know, foundational thing that we all have. Like if you think about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the base level of it is like food, water, shelter, you know, say, and then it goes up safety and security. And we need that. We need that as human beings to properly function and be very much present in the world. So, you know, I think that was a really 
good way for you to start practicing. How do you create those healthy boundaries while, you know, protecting yourself, creating that sense of security and stability for yourself and, you know, just knowing and having that balance of, okay, I'm, I'm present with my family, but I'm also protecting myself, you know, because, you know, it was a household that you were growing up with that was, you know, slightly, you know, or more so imbalanced. So I think that's a, a key thing that you practice at a very early age. And, you know, also to that point, I think it's so important um, to create those healthy boundaries, especially for your parents, right? Um, you know, no matter how they are as parents, you know, as we get older, it's important to start to cultivate that sense of boundary, right? And, and understand like, okay, I'm growing into my own person that has separate needs, and, you know, it's important that the parent honors that, you know, and I think that's a big thing too. So thank yeah. you for touching upon all of those points. So, so, so wonderfully laid out. I will say thank you. Yes, thank you. And but I will say about my mother now, now I know now because I have built this strong relationship. And I do think that even after we lose this human connection on earth, we can still continue on these relationships and heal them when they mm -hmm. pass on. Um. I know my mother had a heart of gold and I know she worked at a nursing home and on her days off, she would bring us all to meet the patients because mm -hmm. she knew they were lonely. So she would just drag us all up there. And this is where the volunteering started in my family. Um, all the good in me is from her. My mother just never learned to love herself. And she was a huge Whitney Houston fan. And Whitney tells us the greatest gift of all is learning to love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, as part of my journey on and off the mat, I just want to encourage more humans to love themselves. I have no regrets or guilt about the relationship I have with my mother or sister. I know they are together again, and we're meant to do greater things as angels. 100%. And yeah, yoga philosophy teaches me that we pick our parents. When I first learned that, I raised my hand and I was like, I did not pick my parents. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they're like, yes, you did. And I can see now that I am living my mother's legacy and I am so grateful that my sister chose me to be her sister for 20 years. Hmm. Um, toward the end of her life, I knew how sick she was. She suffered from depression. She suffered from eating disorders. She had been bullied in school. Um, and she just, she tried her best. She was trying to get the medical attention she needed um, she died in 2004 and mental illness still has a very strong stigma around it. But mm -hmm. even back then it was even worse. And she helps me open my eyes and be an advocate for others that are suffering this silent killer so often in this crazy world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, even going from that yoga piece of it and the philosophy, yeah, we do we do pick our parents. And then when you, you're in it, you know, you're like, why? Like, I don't understand. I didn't do this. Like, and I just, and it's hard because it comes to the point of like, it's having that moments of reflection and deep reflection that you realize like, you know, this was all prepping me for this purpose, this path of purpose that I'm on everything was prepping me, right? I think the fact that you were exposed to all of those experiences within your household made you more empathetic, right? And that's why you are able to give so selfishly and beautifully to others because you learned that very early on in a very big way. And it, and it happened directly, you know, to you. It was your direct family. Yep. So, 
you know, I think that's a, that's a big piece of that too. And also to that point, like, you know, mental, mental health and, and wellness. And, you know, I didn't really start to really kind of see it pop up in, you know, the zeitgeist of the world. I want to say until the pandemic happened, like 2020, like they were encouraging therapy. There, there was an ad for talk space, you know, every other 18 seconds, you know, yeah. I think that is a wonderful direction that we should grow into, into this world because, a lot of the things that we are experiencing from a physical ailment directly correlate to something that starts mentally, right? And it's it's very, 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 you know, big that we talk about, you know, the state of the world and mental health and how important and impactful it is to take care of yourself. And like you said, love yourself, right? I think yeah. it's easy for us to also like love the good parts of ourselves, but you know, it's also loving the shadow parts of ourselves too, and giving ourselves grace throughout it all. And knowing that we are these multifaceted human beings that, you know, feel everything, <laughs> like we feel everything. And it's important to kind of love our way through all of those pieces. Yep. Big, big thing for that. So just going into what I like to call like building this new foundation. So um, a lot of the times they call like, moments in your life that are breaking points like they call it like the dark nights of the soul right and usually obviously you know being the title of it being dark night of the soul it's usually a moment where you kind of feel like this is my rock bottom this is my breaking point but it usually is like the springboard into launching you into your purpose right it's almost like you got to drop down to the shadow in order to rise up into the light so for you, Pam, do you like have any like particular moments or moments in your life where you really felt like this is my breaking point and it really became a wake up call to start to really change the trajectory of your life? Yeah, and it's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm 38 now, but in my 33rd year, which Urban Dictionary calls the Jesus year. Like I, it was so transforming my 33rd year that I don't even know how I stumbled across this. I've never even heard, I had never even heard of Urban Dictionary. And here it is. You can, everyone can look it up themselves. It's called Jesus year. And it's where you are reborn into some sense of self. Mm. I had two years earlier in 2014, I was struggling as I approached the decade of my sister's death. And as we were approaching that 10 year mark is one week before when my mom passed. Hmm. So I had this like, major life changing moment. And that was the few years earlier, but as I was approaching my 33rd year, I read this book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. It has since taken off. It's a TV show. It has this whole big following. And the idea behind it is you tidy up your belongings, your material items by category. And I'm a pretty organized, clean person. And I remember thinking like, this will never work. You're supposed to clean by room, not by category. Right. But I read the book and I did it and I did it her way. And she stresses it in the book. You got to do it this way. And once you do it, you never have to do it again. Mm. And I haven't. I Since this book taught me that the how many things I was holding on to that didn't, I was keeping because this person gave me or I wanted to wear this shirt that still had the tags on it that I didn't even really like or whatever it was. And 
that book completely transforms um, my grief. It allowed me to acknowledge it. I started, I had all these items that weren't bad, but just needed to find new homes. So I started reaching out to nonprofits to donate my stuff. I started volunteering more as I learned about these nonprofits and their missions. I started clearing out my actual physical calendar with things I was doing. And I started saying no to things and getting on my mat more. I found yoga practice. A few months later, I was signing up for yoga teacher training. I learned the word no in my 30s by doing this. I stopped yesing everybody. Mm -hmm. I started educating myself on grief. Um, through the volunteer projects, I realized I had all these like baskets in my basement. And the, like baskets you would g give someone like at a baby shower or like a raffle basket. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why do I have all these baskets? And then for some reason, this image of cotton balls came into my mind. And I remember my mom, who wasn't a great self-care practitioner the way I am, but she would consider a cotton ball like a luxury item. Mm. And she loved to do her nails, but she so often just like wiped it off with like a piece of tissue or toilet paper. And I had this image of the cotton balls and I saw the basket and that is what initiated the legacy project of the Mother's Day baskets, which I call Serenity Now, mm. which is from Seinfeld. And anytime us three girls were driving my mom crazy, which was mostly all day, every day, right. she would just yell out, Serenity Now! <laughs> <laughs> and I think, that, I think these baskets are an important reminder and they show, and this is why they're for these, these young moms that just do, are not getting the support they truly need from the community. It's just, you know, their babies are getting what they need, but not, no one's really pausing for these young women. And it's just like a reminder of them to take a moment and to practice self care. So we load them up with like really good toiletries and, and it just, there's no rules to it. You just, fill it up with something that brings you joy that you're going to share with somebody else. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that, that was my big breaking point that year. Mm -hmm. I love all of everything that you know. <laughs> it's so, it's so true. And, you know, I think there's many, many books, you know, that, you know, have definitely changed the course of my life. And, and I know many guests have on the show have talked about a book that has really changed the course of their life. And it's just, you know, it, there's so much, there's so much magic that could happen once you start to face things that are hard to let go. Right. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's a big thing, like, you know, especially a lot of people, and especially as people that live in this country, we think like we can do it all and have it all like, and you can have it all, but in order for you to make, in order for you to really accomplish and be set out on your purpose, you got to make room whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, everything carries energy. Um, Leila Dahlia always says that. Delia, Leila Delia says that. Like everything from a piece of paper to anything to a person or a thing or an environment, everything carries energy. And the more that we are able to kind of say and decipher and have discernment on what we will allow in and what we are okay giving away, it makes room for so much more. Yeah, your life. It really does, you know. 
And again, we all can do the juggling acts. We all can do 18,000 things. You know, the society praises, you know, people that are super productive and everyone thinks like my worth is assigned to what I do, not just my worth being assigned to who I am. And I think, you know, it's important to kind of talk about the fact that you're worthy just by being. And you're just, you're, that is it. That is totally it. And I think, you know, good kudos to you for being able to take that first step and say, you know what, even though I'm starting it off in a very physical way of trying to get rid of things, it's a very emotional, mental, and spiritual practice to do that and to let go so that you can invite more in. And then look what happened. It sparked this wonderful soul project that you've been doing with these underserved mothers. Yeah. Yeah. It's all seeds. It's all little seeds, I see, just like popping through your story. So, you know, I think this is important to talk about, you know, support systems. Um, You know, I always say I have a soul family, which are family that, you know, we have no blood relation, but we're definitely a soul family. They, you know, they're people that I call that I depend on um, to, to really support me. And I do the same. So for you, Pam, what kind of support did you have in your life where you really felt like seen, secure and stable during this time? And how did that show up for you? So I think this is something we kind of touched on earlier with the instability of my home life. Mm -hmm. I really learned how to network, whether it was through high school, like I I had pretty strong relationships. Like I was one of those weirdos that like, said hi to their teachers. (laughs) And like, (laughs) weren't afraid of them as adults and leaned on them for support and guidance. And um, I I do believe in the the soul families, I, I have mentors, I believe in having those like top five people in your life for like everyday things, but also like having go to people for specific incidences. Like if you need, if I need advice for this topic, I, I'm going to find someone that I'm going to trust. And, and it it's not, it's not about just turning around to the first person that's available. It's really about taking a moment and thinking of the best person that's going to support me in that moment for that topic. Mm. It's not easy work to do this, but this is part of how I, how I network. I do believe that to my benefit, I was born with a lot of self-confidence and the independence I needed. So I, I understand that this is hard for people to do. And sometimes because sometimes my blinders come on and it's harder for me to feel either empathy or compassion for people without the self-confidence part of, of this to be able to build their own stability. Yes. Um, and to, and to ask other people for help. I know this is like one of our, our hardest things to do in life. Um, even for me asking for help from others, asking for advice can be challenging, but the more we practice anything, the easier it becomes. Um, And I do really believe that people come and go in our lives. And I'm grateful for every relationships, even the really hard ones. So just like I may hold a a shirt as part of the tidy project, and it doesn't bring me joy anymore, I can do this with people too. Mm -hmm. And so somebody I might always go to for advice, I may realize one day, you know what, this this person isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. And so... I'm not really sure if this, if I'm answering this question the right way. I feel like this is going to be a question I need to untangle more with 
like professional therapy. Yeah, no, I think you, I think you did. And I think you touched upon a, a couple things too. It's like you had this whole family and I think it's important to like acknowledge that, you know, what's that old saying? People come into your life for a reason, a season and a life or a lifetime, right? And everyone that comes into your life, whether it be for a blip in, in time or for a lifetime is helping to assist you in your own evolution, right? And I think what you touched upon was actually very, very big and a first on this podcast, which is good to talk about is like learning to also accept the fact that, you know, do people do come into your life for a season, but they're all there to assist you in some way to, to, for you to reach your higher purpose and your higher purpose. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, I I was joking to um, one of my friends the other day and, but it's, it's what I do. I put my friends into like a tiered system. (laughs) Like I have to, I have to, because I'm like, tier one is like, you know, I take a bullet for them, you know, I'm bailing Mm -hmm. them out of jail, you know, same. And they would do the same for me. Like I drop everything to run to them. That is tier one. Right. And I think the reason why I put them in tiers is to, for me to understand and create boundary, healthy boundaries for myself where I'm not dropping everything for someone that, you know, that person, I don't have that type of relationship like I have with the tier one, right? It helps to just, you know, I'm present, but it also helps me to also, you know, maintain my self-care, my self-love, you know? And it also takes away the guilt too. Like, you know, I was putting everyone into tier one and it's like, oh, your friends, cousins, brothers, uncle is having a party, you should come. And I'm like, that is so far distant from... (laughs) Yeah. From the person that, you know, now I have this sense of obligation to go and I'm going there, but I'm feeling like a sense of resentment going there because I'm like, this is not time well spent for me, for me, you know? So I put my friends into a tiered system and that's, and that's totally, I'm totally comfortable with that because again, tier one is the core, tier two are the people that I'm like, okay, it's okay to have a little distance, but as soon as we hop on the phone, it's like no time has passed, right? Yep. And, and, you know, tier three is like, you know, your associates, you know, or like, you know, pseudo good friends, like you share a common interest, but, you know, say if months, even a year passes on and you guys don't touch base, it's not something that's a heavy slash to the chest. So I think for, for what you touched upon, which is really important is to understand that, you know, people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime, but overall, everyone comes into your life to assist you in reaching your higher self in some way, shape or form. So yeah. And can I just build on that? Absolutely. Let's see if the thought already left my brain. (laughs) Um, We build on the show. So totally build on it. Yeah. (laughs) I I think that the, the, I, I think we put a lot of responsibility on other people and our expectations of our friends to show up for us when we need them, especially for people like me that, are super independent. The second I ask someone for help, I expect them to be there for me mm-hmm. because this is the type of person I am. Mm-hmm. But some people, but then you go back to that idea of some people may not have all the tools that you have. So I think for this idea of the, if you want to feel secure, seen, and stable, you need to take responsibility for those people that you're putting that weight on. And I love the idea of you tearing your friends. And maybe this is something I did when you were younger. You have your best friend in high school or college or whatever. 
and you're their best, you guys are best friends and you stop everything to do everything for you, but that relationship might not be reciprocated. Correct. So you might have your tier one friend, but that friend might put you in tier three. Mm-hmm. And so I think evaluating that side of it too is important because yeah. you could be giving, giving, giving to this person all the time. And that might be part of the tiering evaluation. But if you're not aware of that, you're going to feel like you're being taken advantage of. Or I'll say, I was felt like I was taken advantage of. Yeah, it's all about reciprocity. I think that's ultimately anytime that we have a relationship, blood or not, it's about reciprocity. And like even Pam, like you made that earlier point of, you know, it's it's that whole piece about when you when you're helping others it's like you're you're teaching the man how to fish you're not just giving them the fish right so you're helping them navigate their own path but it's like you're encouraging them to do it for themselves right I always say like you I always say to people you can never change a person unless they want to change themselves yeah that's it you know you could be a great support for them But, you know, I think that's a big piece of that lesson is, you know, finding, you know, especially in service, like all you want to do is like help, right? All you want to do is like immediate fix their, fix your problem, right? And, but a big piece of that for them in their spiritual path is, you know, having someone guide them to say, okay, this is how you fish, not just me giving you a fish, right? And I think that's so important because then that can help to really eradicate a lot of the issues that they're having because they themselves are training themselves to graduate to their higher level of, of goodness and their purpose because they're doing the work. Yeah. I always say as a, and and not even how to fish, but teaching them all the different ways to fish. Do you fish from the riverbank with a net or with a fly? You know, like there's thousands of different ways to fish, whether it's on a boat or with a net. I always say as a yoga teacher, like I can teach a student, to get into the best down dog I've ever gotten into. But if I don't teach them how to create the shape in their own body in the moments they need it the most, then I'm not really serving them as a teacher. Exactly. Exactly. You have to teach people, you have to teach people to create their own toolbox. Mm-hmm. They need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 1000%. So this is actually one of my favorite questions. I call it this spiritual GPS. Um, And Pam, and I'm sure that the listeners want to know, like, what steps did you really take to kind of shift the paradigm in your life and direct it in a more purposeful way? I know that we talked about you creating the baskets for the underserved um, mothers and, you know, would love for you to touch deeper upon those steps that you have taken to really shift the paradigm in your life and direct it in a more purposeful way. Yeah, I think um, for me, setting boundaries saying no and learning to stop apologizing are really important learning to live my own truth surrounding myself with people that support my authentic self and practice compassion and love for myself first before i serve others So once I was able to do that and then start leading by example and practicing what I teach instead of dictating what I think people should be doing, I think showing up is the most important part. Um, I just read, I think it was in Alicia Keys' book, More Myself. And just, I keep getting this, this message that we just have to keep showing up for each other. 
whether it's serving at a soup kitchen or being there for your tier one friend or being there for yourself, um, not canceling on yourself. And a big part of this um, idea of service, because I've been doing it since, I don't know, 2015 or 16, is being patient. Because for so many years, I was I was trying to get, you know, like the first few years of my volunteer projects did not kick off the way they did. Mm. I love the message in the movie, The Field of Dreams, where if you haven't seen it, it's this Kevin Costner baseball movie, and he keeps getting a message whispered to him. If you build it, they will come. Yes. And it's this idea, like, if you are working on something, whether it's a volunteer project or a new work project or whatever it is that you are being called for, whatever that life purpose looks for you in the moment, knowing that if you be patient, if you build it, they will come, you will attract whatever type of support you're looking for. And it wasn't really until I started making these projects more personal and tying these legacies about my mom and sister. My sister was born on Halloween. So that's really what tipped you know that that book the tipping point that was really the tipping point of my life of my projects i collected in her memory um gently used halloween costumes because it never even dawned on me that children living in shelters weren't able to celebrate halloween the way other children were mm. and making sure that they were able to dress up and have that fun part of being a child right and so many children just play dress up all day now. So it wasn't even just for Halloween. So I think being patient in your true path, knowing that even like, I think what it is, is like you get so passionate and excited about something. You want everyone to jump on board right now. Mm -hmm. But you got to give people time to catch up to where you are. Exactly. 1000%. I think, you know, there's so many things that you touched upon. And I think, you know, the one big piece of it, um, with the movie with Kevin Costner, which I don't quote me. I think it's Field of Dreams. Don't quote me on it. Yeah, I think it's Field of Dreams. Yeah, it's Field of Dreams. But just thinking about, you know, that movie and with with Kevin Costner, it's just like, you know, if you build it, they will come. It's, you know, I always remind, this is like the biggest thing that I always tell myself and and have to remind myself, like, you know, you have to be in the in the space of being, in between, I make things happen and I let things happen, right? I put action, I put energy, I put work, sweat, equity into something, right? But all in all, because I put so much work into it, doesn't mean that's going to be an immediate success, right? And I think that's the other part of like letting things happen is like surrendering to something that's bigger than us to know that it's helping us to co-create our, our purpose and our reality. And I think that's a big thing. And, you know, it's also being able to define for yourself what is success, right? And and for me, I had to redefine what success is many a times, you know, to say, okay, like, for example, season one, would I consider that podcast to be a success? Absolutely. Absolutely it was. Because, and it really just came from an internal check. I was like, I, I did the work. I let a lot of things kind of flow naturally. And, you know, and I birthed something that I was super proud of and to the point where it gave me tears. And at that point, I didn't even care if just one person listened to it. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? I think that's a true sense of growth where you're just like, I don't care if no one listens to it. Like, 
look at that being an accomplishment, you know, just for putting something out there. Yeah. And the, and that's the big thing about that. And I think that's a huge piece. And, you know, I love what you touched upon, you know, talking about, you know, setting healthy boundaries, giving, you know, really knows uh, and, and being firm with your nose there. I think there was a person, I can't remember her name. Um, oh, I remember it's Terry Cole. I think she's a psychologist and she just came out with a book a couple months ago called The Boundary Boss. Okay. And one of the pieces that she does say as like her checkpoint is, get really comfortable with saying no without an explanation. Yes. 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 So we so often do that, right? I'm so sorry. I can't because, and then there's the litany of words that you can fill in. You know, it's like you being a boundary boss is you saying, no, I can't, I'm sorry. Or not even apologizing, just saying no and having not to give an explanation to that. And I think a big part of that too is surround. And this is where that people come and go part come in is because once you learn to start saying no, your friends are going to get upset because they're used to you saying yes. Yes. And they're going to challenge you. And that's what they're there for in those moments. They're there to challenge you and you have to stay with your, your boss self. And it's the ones that learn to accept the word no from your mouth that are going to stick around. Yes. Because the ones that are not listening to you are, you are not their tier one because Mm -hmm. they're not listening to you, to your truth. No. They should be supportive of your word. No. And, you know, from their relationships grow and fail and that's fine. That, that becomes that non-attachment. And once we learn to practice that non-attachment through that tidy process of material, clothing and books and stuff, we can learn to do it with people mm-hmm. too. And we can thank them for being in our life when we needed them and then we can let them go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I love this question because I think it was like Stephen Pressman, he's an author and he said, you know, usually when you're kind of on the precipice of going into your purpose, or finding that thing that is your specialness, your uniqueness, you know, you tend to feel like your first feeling that comes up is a sense of resistance and doubt because you are now navigating a whole new path that's totally unfamiliar that, and therefore you have uncomfortability around it, which is totally a natural thing. So for you, Pam, did you, as you were kind of navigating your new path, did you kind of feel a sense of like uncertainty or had doubts about the direction of your life? And if you did, like what gave you the power and the inspiration to overcome your doubts and persevere? So I think, so my teaching and my volunteering are, are things are I'm passionate about. I've never felt uncertain. This goes back to me being a very self-confident person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I have been practicing this idea of just doing things out of joy. Like if it brings me joy, I don't care who's behind me. I'm here to lead. I'm here to be standing next to people, but I'm not checking behind me to see how many people, like, it's not a head count thing for me. Mm-hmm. So if it brings me joy, I do it. Um, when I first started those mother's day baskets, if I got one or five baskets, I didn't care. I, we, and we like blew the numbers away and every year it just grows because if you're passionate about it people will feel that and they want to be part of it if they feel the same way Mm -hmm. but 
I like this question about uncertainty in my career. I work on Wall Street and there's I've been there since 2004. I just started my 18th year. And yeah, of course, over the years, I've had uncertainty if I really belong there. I mean, when I tell people I'm a yoga teacher and I work on Wall Street, they're like, that's like two opposite sides of the spectrum. But I love bringing both to either, either career. Anytime I've had a doubt where I wanted to walk away, I have a mentor that I talk to. I'm very honest about how I feel about things. I try to figure out why I'm feeling this way. I have a really strong gratitude practice toward my job now. I love my team. I love what I do. Um, so I haven't walked away. But as a side question to this or flipping it around, mm -hmm. I think what for me, this is where I've seen things show up more for me so if you were to say did I ever feel certain about a, deci a decision and had to develop power to come overcome others doubts toward my path so for example I'm a pretty good decision maker I know what I want I don't know where this this is like back to that self-confidence thing I just yeah. never remember not having this that's a um, I've never wanted to get married or have my own children. It's just not something I ever wanted to have. But anyone growing up, they, you know, like a, a lot of our conversation pieces start with, oh, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or do you want to get married? Or are you married? Or do you have kids? As you get older, these questions keep showing up. Yes. And I would tell people, oh, no, I don't want to get married. I don't want. And immediately they would go like the shock would come over their face. And. They would be, they wouldn't listen to what I was saying. They would just respond with, oh, you'll change your mind one day. Oh. You'll, you'll change your mind one day. And I think because that is what made me different from a lot of people in my community. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a fair assessment that people said this to me, maybe they were right, maybe one day I will change my mind, but I didn't think it was the right thing to respond to me with. And so correct. I was the fish like swimming against the society telling me how to live my life. Mm. And everyone wanted me to turn around and join them in their decision making. Mm. I watched so many of my friends check off boxes into unhappiness. But what this yoga practice teaches me is that we are controlled by our senses. And a lot of that is tied to advertising, what gets shoved in our face, how we should look, how we should think, what should we eat, who we should marry, blah, blah, blah. And so I think being able to stand up for myself there, I, I always felt like I had this idea of, of certainty mm. on what I wanted and something like that. Um, and a decision like that. But I do, so I, I think I just want to get the message out to people that if you are feeling uncertain or you do feel certain about something, be careful who you're telling mm -hmm. because we can feel very vulnerable when we're making really hard life decisions and we can be easily controlled by outside influences if we aren't listening to ourselves first and if we don't know how to do that. Um, I think a lot of my 20s was spent this way, but I, I do, I'm not against marriage. I'm, I'm supportive of people that choose that, 
and choose to have their own children. Um, and it's true one day that I might change my mind and want to be married and have children. I have a loving life partner who respects my decision. I was very honest from our early days of dating that I didn't want to get married. I do think the ability to love and be loved is extremely important, but marriage isn't the only way to obtain it. Yes. And as I get older, I will never regret not having biological children. If I feel called to motherhood, I will raise my hand for what I consider the hardest job in the world, which is becoming a foster mom. Loving a child so much that your goal is to reunite the child with their family. Mm. Mm. Ah. So beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. I, I can't, I can't even add to that. <laughs> it's just you. So I, I just, beautiful. I want people to know, like if they, if you are certain about your decision, do not let other people. And, and I think an important part, I think we all, myself included, have work to do on listening. Just listen. Exactly what you just did, Jen, was just like, you don't have anything to add to it. That you were just listening to what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We're, we're so trained to listen to respond instead of just listening to listen. Yes. Yes. And so when you, going back to your original question, when you are feeling uncertain about something in your life, knowing those people that you can go to that are going to listen to you, not to try to change your mind about something, not to disagree with you on something, but those people that are able to help you get to your truth, not guide you to live their truth. Yeah, yeah. And there's a, and it reminds me of a quote, um, and I think this is something that, and I love quotes, so I always have like a plethora of, of life quotes in my, in my notes <laughs> on my phone, um, that, and this stayed with me, that when you argue with reality, you will suffer. Oh, yeah. Right. So and it, it kind of points to what you were saying about like, you know, society has like all of these like, you know, things that we should be doing in order to, you know, be seen as successful or whole as a person. Right. You know, and I think that's so important that you touched upon. It's like, OK, I understand that, but that's not my reality of what I find to be happiness. You know, happiness for me is not dictated by what people are doing that's other than myself. Right. And I think, you know, when you argue with reality, you will suffer. It comes from that. And that pretty much just says like, honor your truth and know that sometimes walking on the path of your truth, it could be just you walking that path. And that is totally okay. And I think with your attribute of having that self-confidence, that's what gives you that energy to walk that path and to keep your like head held up high, knowing that, you know, you don't have those doubts. You're not uncertain about it. And you can continue to walk that path, knowing that that is the path in which was set out for you. And also keeping, you know, an open mind, right? I think that's a big thing too, you know? And I appreciate that, you know, at this point in time, this is not your path. And I think that's great to say. I always, you know, I'm, I'm a, come from a family of divorced parents. And, you know, to be very transparent with you, I never thought they should have gotten married, um, to be very honest with you. Um, and... For me, I was like, okay, they probably were trying to like live up to what society had deemed as like the perfect family, right? So they made the decision to marry. Um, and for me, I was like, now that I'm in, I'm 35, 
I am like, okay, marriage for me might be a little different. Like for me, I'm kind of like, yeah, I could get married. I could sign the papers and do the, and do the wedding thing. But I'm kind of like, you know, isn't it more important to have that life partner instead? Like, isn't it important to kind of cultivate that soul partnership with this other person and, you know, marriage not be the big piece of it? Like before I was gung-ho about it. Now I'm kind of like, if it happens, cool. If it doesn't, that's okay. I can just be a partner to this person. That That's it. Yeah. And I, I don't, I think that that part of my story is something that needs to be shared more. And I am hoping this younger generation doesn't feel that same pressure that ours did. And I I thank you for sharing about your parents and my parents never should have been married either. I don't want to speak their story because I don't know it, Mm -hmm. but I'm almost certain that my mom was pregnant with me and that's why they got married. Mm. If you, if you've worked the dates, that's what it looks like. Right. She, and she didn't know enough to say no at the time. Hmm. And maybe too, she wanted that picture perfect. I don't know why they continued having children. Right, right, right. They're like, okay, that's sad. But it gave me my two sisters. So, you know, like that was their path. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love this question, um, you know, because you, you touched upon this, like, you know, you work on Wall Street for a yoga teacher and like, they're like two ends of the spectrum and, you know, I think we want to just touch upon the piece about being this yoga teacher in the sense. So when you became a yoga teacher, like what were your main soul goals? And I, and goal, and those soul goals are goals that were like connected to your soul. So Pam, can you tell the listeners just like, you know, what were your main soul goals about becoming a yoga teacher? Yeah, I just yoga, um, yoga was something that felt very healing to me Mm. in a way that talk therapy never had talk therapy is something that was pushed on me pretty much my whole life my parent my mom made me go and it after my sister died I tried to go it just never worked for me I was never against it I just it it wasn't working so when I showed up to the mat and I started teacher training and studying trauma and yoga I started to learn oh, I'm not broken, that talk therapy isn't for everybody, that for some of us that have experienced trauma, physical, emotional, mental, whatever it looks like for you, that not all of us are ready to just get in the chair and open up. Even doing this podcast is a huge step for me, but I can Mm -hmm. feel that talk therapy is in the horizon, which is a huge step. I don't want to say improvement because this isn't the right word, but a huge um, step for me in my healing process. And so yoga was never something offered to me as part of a healing. And once I realized it was working for me, I would never push yoga on anybody, but I wanted to make sure it was available for everyone to at least try. Mm. So I was teaching teens in a emergency shelter yoga and they didn't have to practice. They could just sit on the mat. Uh, and or sit in the couch and I was doing that for a few months and then I started teaching a donation-based class at the studio so that yoga could be available to anybody in the community and it it, it's a volunteer class that I teach yeah and my energy exchange is that I just love bringing offering yoga to anybody that wants to show up and try it I love that that was my sole goal Mm. love that love that And I think, you know, like you and I, and we've had experiences with like our students or, you know, where, you know, we've had that, those moments that I'm like, oh my God, this like transcends 
my mm-hmm. human experience. So for you, Pam, can you tell the listeners, um, can you talk about a time where you knew like your work, whether that be as a yoga teacher or um, a person that is in service, transcended the human experience, like your work transcended the human experience and that you knew that you were carrying out your spiritual assignment. Any stories that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, And, you know, COVID has been extremely challenging for a lot of people, but when you take a moment and maybe list one or two things that spun out of it, for me, taking away the physical yoga practice and, and switching it to virtual opened my eyes to something when I did go back into the studio and start teaching. And it didn't matter how many students were in the class. But there were just certain times after teaching a class that we would end class with this ohm as a chant. And there are just no words for the energy of those vibrations together. That, th- that experience, like it, it's just something that just resonated with me. I could feel it in my heart. And I just knew I was ex- exactly, almost like a deja vu moment. Like, you know, you're exactly where you're supposed to be mm. right there. And, and then anytime someone shares something with me about their life like a before class the student is just really feeling open to sharing with me because I know how hard it is to do that yeah as a student myself or if somebody asks me a question after class that wants to dive deeper into their spiritual practice they feel comfortable coming to me and asking me that um those are moments I feel most proud of myself and of of students Hmm. that we're showing that we're showing up for each other Yes. Love that. Love that. So, you know, question to you, Pam, you know, like you are a great yoga teacher and, you know, still very much, you know, heavily involved in service. Do you feel like right now at this point that you are fulfilling your purpose in life or are you craving more? I am not craving more. (laughs) Um, I am an action person. So when I want to do something, I'm doing it. Yes. Even if that means I'm crossing it off my list and letting it go. Either I'm doing it or I'm not doing it. I don't tend to like linger around things. And that might be something that I've learned over the years how to do. But I'm pretty, at this point in my life, at this age, with this experience, um, I feel pretty purposeful. Hmm. I love this. And, you know, I think you touched upon this too with, you know, your self-care and just everything that you are kind of doing to come back home to yourself and fill up your own cup, you know, and I think it would be so important for the listeners to hear like with all of this wonderful, what I like to identify as you as success, you know, how are you, Pam, giving back to yourself in, in many ways, like how are you filling up your own cup so that whatever pours over and spills over, that's what you are giving and you're not pouring from an empty cup. Yeah, I think this is really important to be aware of and I'm pretty good about self-care. I can feel when my cup is empty that, and just like we, we use that metaphor of our cell phone that just needs to be recharged. But I do daily meditation for 20 minutes, monthly massages, yoga practice, workout, daily walks, I think I I heard something the other day, sitting is the new smoking. I think movement's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Nutrition, lots of water, occasional glass of wine, (laughs) time on the beach. (laughs) I love to read. Um, Spending time with people I love. 
doing things that bring me joy, good night's sleep. Yeah, so you, we all have access to this infinite number of tools, but it's a matter of filling your toolbox up with what brings you joy so that, and then learning to turn to that toolbox and thinking, okay, in this moment, I need this. And in this moment, I need that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. I so love that. And it's very personal too, right? Like that self-care is personal. Like some people are like, I love to do this. And other people are like, that's a form of self-care. I'm like, yeah, but it's very personal. It's a very yeah. personal thing. Yeah. yeah. Some, and honestly, sometimes giving back to my, I always call it selfish giving because sometimes me giving back to others brings me the greatest joy of all. Mm. And so doing things that bring me joy under that humongous umbrella is volunteering. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Well, we're heading into my, I love these like sets of questions. We call this quick to the heart, which are sort of these quick fire round questions where the answer is no more than a sentence or a word. So Pam, for you, I want to ask you one question. Are you ready to go into quick to the heart fire round? I am ready. Yay. I feel like I'm on a like a celebrity talk show. I guess I am. I'm on with, with Jen. It's my celebrity. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and the, honestly, it's just that's that's so nice. And like, again, that's part of my work is receiving the the compliments. I have to be in the space to receive it, but that's part of it. Yes. My yes. Oh my God. Yes. Huge part of giving is learning to receive. And that is what self-care is. Yes. Big piece of that. Yep. So Pam, for you, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is my sister's high school yearbook quote, which is happiness is not something you find. It's something you create. Never let the opinion of others keep you from doing what's right. Have the courage to stand up for your beliefs, even in the face of criticism. Mm, love that. Love that. <laughs> what is your biggest source of inspiration? Oh boy. I think when I see a child initiating a random act of kindness, kindness and creating those ripples, it melts my heart. Mm, love that best advice you ever received or the best lesson you have ever learned? The best advice I've ever received is from my finance professor in college. I was a, a business major and he said from paycheck number one, put 10% of that paycheck into your retirement fund. Don't touch it. And just learning to be financially independent. Money is a huge taboo subject, but I think that it is really important to learn how to manage a budget. Yes cannot tell you. I, I do, just as an aside, I do like these money mantras, which are 11 mantras I read every morning and I'm doing it for 40 days. And money, even though it's a tangible thing and there's sometimes a bad stigma to it, it's an energy and, yeah. you know, and it's, and could get very emotional, right? Like yeah. also depending on how you grew up, like, you know, were you the type of person where like, you know, your parents were spending frivolously and now you're like trying to navigate that on your own. Were they savers? Are they oversave? So it's a very big thing. And, you know, I think, you know, I would love to, I think we also have someone on the show for this season who's going to be talking about money in relation to energy. And that's okay. a really big, big okay. topic. So yeah. yeah, that's a great, that's a great piece of advice you that you uh, touched upon and, and gave. What advice would you give to someone who feels that they have fallen short in life and cannot see their true light? 
I would tell them that we are not our mistakes. Learn to trust and listen to yourself. Take your own advice. Ask for help. And surround yourself. And just like we were saying all day, surround yourself with people that support and encourage you. Set boundaries. Try new things. Most importantly, for these people that are really vulnerable with you, going back to that idea of just listening to them and validating their feelings, though, I think that is tremendous. Mm, I oh, and that. always start a gratitude practice. I have started that last September. I'm a, oh, my goodness. It might be a year, Mark. Oh, yeah. And it has been life-changing. Starting a gratitude and daily meditation practice, you could read all the benefits of all day long, but until you start actually doing it, you're not going to really understand it. And they have been life-changing for me. Yes. It opens up the portal to so much more. Yeah. So much more. I firmly believe that. What are you most proud of? Oh, I am most proud of donating blood. Something I started started doing over COVID during this global pandemic. And mm -hmm. I have never felt more connected to humans and saw us, us as all as one. Mm. And I understand not everyone don't can is eligible to donate blood and that's totally fair. But I do feel that we are all have the capability to share the message because there is a huge blood shortage right now. But I have donated blood seven times since the pandemic has started. And I every time I show up, I am very proud of myself because I had a huge fear of donating blood. Mm. Love that. And last but not least, what are you most looking forward to with your work and your personal life? <laughs> I'm most looking forward to retiring. I've been starting planning for it since I'm 21. And my personal life, uh, my golden girl years, I can't wait to just be sitting around my kitchen table eating some cheesecake with my best old girlfriends. Mm, I love that. <laughs> love that. And can you please give the listeners um, either a website or a social media handle of where to follow you? I'm pretty sure that you will be getting some requests <laughs> to, to join in your um, service-based work, I'm sure. But yeah, definitely give our listeners um, uh, your social media handle on where to follow you and to just learn more about what you're doing because it's, it's tremendous work. Sure. Uh, my Instagram is create happiness underscore be the ripple. And on Facebook, it's just my full name, Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A dot concannon, C-O-N-C-A-N-N-O-N. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This was awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Like I always say, I, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's a challenge, you know, and I, I understand some people like giving their full story is a challenge. But um, I'm so appreciative that you shared your raw and honest story with our listeners. And I always say that, you know, any person that has come on the show and, you know, has given me the opportunity, has blessed us with their story, you know, they are going to be a model of courage for someone else that are listening. So you just, you know, gave like another service project because, you know, the people that will be listening to this are going to be positively impacted and, you know, may even pass on this episode to someone that may be going through something very similar. And you could be that, that light for them at the end of the tunnel. So thank you. Cause you, you've done, you're doing the work. You are continuing to do the work with yourself. And it's just my deepest honor to have you on the show. Really just such a beautiful, beautiful episode and, and just beautiful person inside out. So thank you so much, Pam. 
Thank you so much, Jen. And thank you listeners for tuning in to this episode of Open Heart Raw Story. I hope you were inspired and felt moved by the story you heard today. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more, please subscribe to this podcast and follow Open Heart Raw Story on Instagram and Twitter. Until then, loves, take care of yourselves and lead your lives with an open mind, but most importantly, with an open heart. meditation focusing on Pamela Contrema's episode. On this episode, in addition to talking about the importance of being in service, a theme that came up in the beginning that Pam so beautifully touched upon was the fact of not discounting your truth and how we should honor and share our truth. So for this guided meditation, we are gonna be focusing on not discounting your truth and standing in your power. So sit up nice and tall and close the eyes. Lengthen through the crown of the head. And just take some nice deep breaths in through the nose and out of the nose. Allowing yourself to ground in this moment and in this space. And as you're taking some deep breaths in through the nose and out, Maybe you start to remind yourself that your truth is your truth. And we should never discount it or disgrace it. And it is important for you to let your voice be your testimony. And as you're taking some deep breaths into the nose and out, start to think about that accepting your truth is one thing, but living and professing your truth is a whole new level of being you. And as you're taking some deep breaths into the nose and out, maybe you start to think about this saying that sharing your truth is a importantly, it's a sign of security in who you are in this space and this lifetime. And as we're taking some last deep breaths in through the nose and out, if you start to think about this wonderful quote that goes like this, What we speak becomes the house we live in. 
so it's important to fill our house with integrity, with honesty, and with truth, our truth, and having the courage to profess that truth to the world. Allow yourself to take some deep breaths in through the nose and out. Maybe you start to bring back some gentle awareness into the body, wiggling away the fingers and wiggling the toes. And when you are ready, gently open the eyes. I thank you all for joining me for this guided meditation. I hope it was very nourishing for you and calming. And I look forward to you returning to listening to the next episode of Open Heart Ross Jones. Until then, friends, take care of yourselves and lead your lives with an open mind. But most importantly, with an open heart. Take care.